0: Cole Crawford says that it's no longer a matter of if we will move to edge computing, it's a matter of when and how soon. Cole is the CEO of Vapor.io, which is utilizing co-location facilities and interconnection services in order to bring cloud-like services to the edge of the wireless network. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Cole talks about what all that means, why it makes sense to invest in the edge ecosystem, and what the future of the edge looks like. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform.
1: Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we have In Studio. I like to think you flew in just for this, but I don't know if that's true. Cole, how's it going?
2: As as far as, as far as this show is concerned, I absolutely flew in for this. It's, it's going great. Ian, thanks.
1: Uh, so excited to talk to you today about what you're building at Vapor. But first, in in the edge we're going to talk a lot about the state of the edge this is edge week after all on it visionaries we're talking about the edge and before we get into all that how did you get into technology in the first place
2: oh this is a this is an interesting story and it it it, you have kind of a uh your your namesake a a guy named ian actually was Mm. semi-responsible a great man we really are so i uh i want to argue we uh back back in in high school so this was in the mid 90s um I, I was in a in a group of friends you know more of the tech oriented nerdy you know group than even though i i did play tennis and i was i was a very good tennis player that's still not one of the cool sports yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't basketball or football um so so my 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 friend group was uh you know we were kind of the the kids working on tech, looking at, you know, the fun things you could do with computers. And um, I remember clear as day walking into a, a friend's house and he had this blue screen up. And I just, out of the corner of my eye, this was Windows 95 days, right? Um, and uh, I said, oh, the blue screen to death, that's that's not great. He's like, no, man, this is Linux. And I was like, what the heck is Linux? He's like, and, and, and the backstory here is, there is a there is a little known subculture called Church of the Subgenius. You probably never heard of it. Mm. Yeah, you have to look it up. And Ian Volkerdink was the kind of kind of one of the one of the priests of of this church. And and it's a it was almost a you have to look it up. I, I don't I don't want to totally go into it, but it's 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 a parody religion. It's not meant to be taken seriously at all. Uh, and it's directed at, at one group of people who I also will not mention on the show. But uh, if you're interested uh, in the in the background, it's interesting. and the uh, the philosophy of this little church of the subgenius was to create what's called Slack, which is just kind of goodwill and, you know, kind of peace to everybody. Um, they called it Slack. and Ian was the creator of Slackware which was a very early Linux distribution, still, still uh, tons of people use Slackware today. Um, my friend was like, oh no, man, this is Linux, this is Slackware, this is the future. And I got into tech through, through you know, this, this church of the subgenius thing, which is crazy. I, uh, I, you know, my parents always said, you're gonna be a doctor or a lawyer. And then when I discovered Linux, I was like, no, I'm gonna do this. And that's, that's, that's how I got into tech.
1: That's crazy. And, uh, I'm definitely gonna, we'll link it up to to some, uh, some articles on, uh, on all things sub (laughs) genius. That that sounds pretty interesting. Did you find that there were like things about computing or working on computers that like you enjoyed the problem? Was it that you liked building? What was it?
2: hundred percent. And, and actually, you know, it's part of the reason if you know anything you know kind of about my background I've I'm a huge open source advocate I've you know I've I've spent a lot of my early career building you know Linux implementations I ran a very successful business running Unix to Linux migrations for very large organizations Um, and I've always liked that aspect of tech uh, for two reasons number one uh, you know I believe in the in the principles of open source and there's four main principles, and we don't have to get into them. But uh, you know, I, I believe in the four main principles of using open source software. But also, I remember um, running Slackware, and at the time, it, it was a it was a big thing for you to have a, a great sound card. Remember, remember, sound blasters? No, no, really. <laughs> yeah, I'm older. Uh, but sound blasters were were a were a card, and they worked fine in Windows, but. In, in Linux there was a lot of variables that went into this like like um, irq settings and and different you know uh, different settings and and drivers that didn't even exist back then at the end of the day the ability to basically manufacture your own aspirin right the the the, the ability to take something that uh you know the, the guts of something great are there and your ability to enhance or extend that to to make it do exactly what you want it to do, that freedom was absolutely incredible to me and that really drew me in both on the creative side of this, because, you know, in, in open source code is currency. Um, but it's also art in a way, I mean, you are creating something that is uniquely yours and you know, that code, if it's good, um, in a social setting, depending on, you know, the various projects that you might be working on could, could live on for decades. Uh, there's a there's a ton of code that lives in the Linux kernel today that was written a decade ago.
1: You know, it's funny. We always talk about that with storytelling here, about like storytelling is code that's like written directly for your brain. That's why we pass down stories for literally thousands of years uh, because it like resonates. And so it's similar sort of thing. It's like the idea that you could create something that lasts for a decade, two decades, you know, a hundred years, something like that. Yep. It's just fascinating. And it's like, yeah, we didn't have computers yet a hundred years ago. Uh, well, I guess in, you could argue maybe, but uh, the idea that people could create things today that last for a hundred years, like that, those lines of codes is like ridiculously empowering. empowering.
2: Yeah. Um, so flash forward to today. Why did you found Vapor? So for a number of reasons, and I, I was thinking about it on the Uber ride over here and I had a lot of time to contemplate <laughs> on, on the ride over. It's a long ride. <laughs> it's a very safe ride. Um, IT visionaries, right? The the theme it harkens back for me to um, this movie, the groundhog day. Sure. You see groundhog day Yeah, when he's sitting down and he's saying, you know, maybe, maybe I'm a God, maybe I'm not the God. uh, And I'm in no way drawing a parallel to myself. I'm just, you know, if you've been around long enough and people have told you basically everything uh, about their plans, if you can contextualize, you're going to have a pretty good idea of what, what to do. And, you know, visionary or not, I do you think I had some pretty incredible access to a lot of data and that's, you know, I I strategically went into open source um, and nonprofits because when you are running or building a technical nonprofit, your job is basically to link people together, you know, and create a one plus one equals three type of equation. But that means getting insights into what needs to be built for the future. So, when you're running a company, you know, and building uh, an initiative like the Open Compute Project, like like I help build uh, for, you know, a group of small, well, not small, <laughs> very large companies, uh, like Facebook and Goldman Sachs and Intel, um, and you've got guys like Andy Patosheim on your board of directors, um, you end up asking and sometimes being given roadmaps, right? Visionary roadmaps on, hey, directionally, this is where we want to go. And I had seen what was happening with Linux. Um, I had seen what was happening, you know, obviously as a, as a co-founder of OpenStack, I, I got to help build that foundation and we got to see that, you know, propagate, but there were some challenges. There were some technical challenges, there were some implementation challenges, and there were some architectural challenges that I thought were going to be hard to solve for with this big data deluge. I mean, we've, before we have sort of crystallized as a community and you know calling things iot and you know post 5g etc cetera, etc cetera, we've always expected i mean i remember back in 2011 when when mark zuckerberg came up on the open compute stage and showed the forecast of data that just facebook was going to use on the wireline side we've always forecasted exponential growth of data um i was I was pretty confident, you know, having having been at US West, having been at Quest as an old guard telco guy, um, you know, having worked for Phil Anschutz, ultimately not directly, but ultimately for Phil Anschutz, the guy that put fiber in the ground. I, re- I remember just thinking, man, we're going to have to get a lot better about routing. We're going to get a lot better about how this data flows, you know, both from core to edge, but also edge to core. Today, we 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 talk about the Internet of Things. Tomorrow, we'll talk about the Internet of Moving Things. We're already talking about it: autonomous cars, autonomous drones. You know, your Fitbit, um, my wedding ring has a little sensor in it. Don't don't let's won't, won't it, talk about why. Yeah, it really does. That's crazy. Uh, and because uh, I like real watches, but uh, it, you know, eventually after we get to this 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 state of sort of this post five G world, when these single digit latency capabilities are here. We'll be talking about the internet of skills i mean there's a there's a progression you know the i the iot earlier we were talking about icebergs right yeah iot is the tip of the iceberg for what's possible um robotic surgery i mean things that sound incredibly far out from a timeline perspective are not as far as you think
1: well so it and i love the groundhog day analogy because i do think that especially in tech and a lot of things are cyclical that you do have certain founders that have that moment where you are sitting on the pavement and you're like, do I see what's coming next? Like, I think it's a really good analogy because, uh, and it's funny that, you know, the, uh, I am a God, am not, or I'm not, I'm not the god, but I, I think that that is a lot of the feeling that tech founder or just founders in general have, where they're like, I kind of see, I, I, I imagine it to the, um, in Indiana Jones, when there's like the, the, the clear path in front of him and he has to take the walk, right? It's like the founder is the person taking the step and hoping they don't fall down the pit. But then once they walk across, then they throw the sand across it so other people can see it. But I feel like, you know, back to, back to the edge, it's like, this is one of those moments in time. You could say, you know, like mixed reality is another one of those things with, um, you know, we, this is the actually, and I heard this from someone who works at magic leap where they were saying that this is the first, like paradigm shifting technology that everyone knows is coming and now we can all invest in. And I kind of feel like what you're saying is that with all of this, with IOT, with 5G, there's this path and it's like, so then what is the edge?
2: Yes. And I mean, that's, that's the question for the ages, I guess. And, and really, you know, I've Man, I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, if, if I had a nickel for every time that question was asked to me, I'd probably have more money than the money we've raised. <laughs> yeah. right. uh, but it, you know, I, and I, the best way I can describe it is, okay. So you, you know how there's no two snowflakes that are ever the same. Sure. Same for the edge. Um, when you say the edge is a snowflake, you might, you know, it's kind of funnier, but, uh, but the edge is, is different for everybody. It's a zebra stripes. There you go. A fingerprint. There, I love it. It's a fingerprint. It's blockchain. an iris. It's, it's, a, it's a podcast done, right? You yeah. mentioned blockchain. It's, there it's, you go. There you go. Magic word. Uh, but it really is something different. You know, if you're a company that is working on, um, say a factory floor and you need a you know very low latency sub one millisecond capability for something on the factory floor like your edge living in a cloud could could not it physically can't be that far away because the speed of light is not that fast mm-hmm. i mean yes it's very fast but you know in in fiber and silica fiber and silicon glass it's actually only about 70 percent of the speed of light it's because of refraction right it bounces off the walls of the of the silica um if you're a telco, your edge is probably the relationship between the thing that sits on the tower, the base station or the small cell that is, you know, terminating and propagating the radio access network to your phone that that service is your edge for vapor. You know, our edge is that is the bridge to the last mile. And that's a that's from an infrastructure standpoint. That's an incredibly challenging um task to go solve for because it's not just brick and mortar and it's not just trenching fiber and, you know, getting city permits and, and permission to go dig up a sidewalk. The reality is, and it's shocking. I know we fundamentally as, as a society built two different networks the the old wireline guys built an internet backbone they built right east west traffic the may east and may west which terminated in chicago and then the wireless guys the 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 Ma bells the ba- you know all of the all of the baby bells um think about when you started using data on your phone the concept of data on your phone isn't actually that old that was a 3g technology right that was that was 3g uh 4g made it faster 5g is not a consumer technology It, it it's not it's definitely not aimed at being a, a consumer technology. It's far more an enterprise technology than it is a, a consumer. And we can get into that later. But uh um in reality is a really tough value proposition to go build that that bridge to the last mile because while there's lots of great connectivity on the wireline side, the radio access network that we've been talking about, right? How we get our cell phone signals, that bridge to the internet is not well built yeah it just isn't we built two different networks and it's really been i mean it's not a stretch to say that it's duct tape and bailing wire gluing these things together today
1: is this why my internet is so bad in oakland california or down the road from like we're down the road from facebook right now and all of these, and Google, and everybody, and like, there's so many pockets where there's terrible internet. How is that possible?
2: Uh, it depends on what you're talking about. You might, you might, you might check your service provider.
1: <laughs> you know, I, you know, I feel, I hear you, but, uh, anyways, my point being yeah. that clearly we're not close. If that's you know, correct, you don't have high speed internet. Like, I can't even tell you the amount of effort we go through to get like business speed internet at this at our studio and it is horrific like Uh, horrible
2: it's bad i mean it's it's hard like the reason it's bad is because it's really hard look at google fiber right i mean just to call out like uh, something that was a a moonshot attempt and you know i i don't want to say a complete abandonment but it's definitely a retreat of a consumer focused fiber service when you when you have to go to municipalities and you've got to go you know get get um Uh, permits and establish right of ways and deal with setbacks and easements and all of the things that a city's, you know, all the hoops, the city's going to make you jump through the zoning and permitting of building this out is just hard. And it doesn't matter. You know, Silicon Valley has this, uh, this reputation for not giving two cents about how hard something is. So they'll go and do it. And then sometimes they find out, you know, these big hyperscale companies or small companies find out this is actually very incredibly difficult oh no we, t- we had jonathan
1: Reichenthal, uh who is the former cio of the city of palo alto on the show talking about how difficult this stuff is yeah and he's like you know if any city on planet earth should have <laughs> the most streamlined technological approach right yeah. yeah but that like there therein lies the uh the rub right and then you talk about like the idea of and we had a whole podcast called future cities so this stuff is top of mind but um one city going into another one county going into another one state going into another like you know state versus federal rights like all of those things play into this thing yet austin has great fiber and i heard it's awesome
2: we've got good fiber we've got multiple gigabit providers but beyond the bandwidth and the speed of this whole thing you know the the edge is as much about latency and jitter as it is about speed and and in fact it's not just latency jitter because we built two internets, I'll give you a really good example without, without giving you my, my, my carrier that I'm on. Yeah. So I'm obviously based in Austin. A little known fact, uh, for those of you listening, there's actually only about seven locations in the United States where you can peer with other major networks. So there's about seven big cities that you can go to and actually do your network handoff to somebody else unless you have a private, you know, route that you have agreed to go build with someone else in a specific location, um, there's this concept called an, an internet exchange, an mm-hmm. IX. And there's, you know, you might get corrected because somebody on the show is like, well, there's actually a lot more than, but it's really, with real meaningful data gravity, there's about seven locations. So my carrier, I live in Austin. There is a fiber connection that goes from from Austin to St. Louis, Missouri. And then that's where I actually get registered on the network, but there's no peering. There's no IX in St. Louis, Missouri. There is, however, that in Atlanta, Georgia. So I actually get on the internet in Atlanta, but if I am on my computer and, or really rather on my phone, and I wanna go uh, reach a website that might be stored you know, in, um, the u.s west availability zone of amazon i'm now going to traverse the entirety of the continental united states and then that packet can be sent back to me but i'll have literally gone halfway east all the way west and then halfway east again that's crazy yeah this is how the internet works today this is i'm not even i'm not even it's not even a stretch of 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 what the architecture looks like that's how it looks that's remarkable it's it's incredibly inefficient today and so it's not just latency and it's not just jitter but this is what you've heard of being called backhaul yeah the concept of traffic backhaul so economics you know everybody everybody asks me and i might i might preempt one of your future questions but everyone asks me another the other question you know what is the edge the other one i get all the time is well what's the what's the killer app for 5g hmm. i get that question all the time And I think it's as simple as, I mean, it's very complex, but the answer is simple, right? The solution is hard, um, but economics and the easy button, I mean, that's it. Uh, You know, the, the, the post 5G edge native applications that, you know, college kids and high school kids and entrepreneurs, you know, that are, you know, thinking about what are the possible. Uh, the the dreams that they have and the ideas that they're cooking up to solve for well what could i do with single digit latency end end um those types of applications those are going to come you know it's predicting humans are terrible at predicting the future <laughs> we're really bad um it, no one remember when twitter launched in austin yeah at south by southwest who would have predicted that it, you know at the time, 140 characters on a website was going to be big, right? If you if you would have, if you had said that to me, you know, six months before Twitter launched, I would have said that's that's a company that will never work.
1: Well, it's like Vine, right? It's, it's like, like seven second videos. And then it's like that goes away. And then now TikTok is like blowing up. It's like, hey, people like seven stuff in seven seconds. People like a good story in a short amount of time,
2: 100 percent, 100 percent. But those types of applications will come and you know who are we to say like what those applications are going to be and what resonates with with the intended audience but what we know of today architecturally on the internet is that if you can solve economics and you can solve for an easy button i mean think about think about what made vmware so incredibly valuable i remember being i was i was at dell working in it at the time when, when vmware was really kind of you know hitting its stride and what and remember ibm and Created virtualization in the 70s, and in Linux you had Zen, you had a, a virtualization capability um, in in the Linux kernel, but it was hard because it was Linux, and you know it was you didn't have a UI, you, it was it was much harder to program against, uh, and even the even the employees that you could hire to to go and and program those things were more expensive than their Windows you know admin counterparts. But what did VMware do? They made infrastructure consolidation super simple. It was an easy button for you know how to how to take a bunch of servers that were sitting at 80 percent idle and and make those things more efficient by by creating more virtual machines on physical hardware and it was easy to do and it helped your dollar go further yeah and and i think we're at this inflection point in our industry where the cost of capital for a lot of companies is a lot more expensive today than it used to be right and and as we let me just ask a very simple question are you on the same carrier from 4g to 5g when when it was 4g or did, have you changed carriers uh that's great i don't know I okay don't know. so it, it doesn't really matter the question really is do you pay more for your phone bill in in 4g than you did in 3g i pay less see that's interesting i pay less yeah i i pay less today and actually i pay less today inclusive of all international texting Um, data. I mean, I get, I get, I get this international capability that I pay less for that experience today than I did for three G. I think a lot, you know, back to your question, what, why did we build vapor? What was the, what was the thesis? The ROI for the investment into building these newer networks is not going to come from you or me. It's not at the end of the day, it's always going to come from eyeballs. But our eyeballs are chemical. And the eyeballs that we're probably solving for are electrical or mechanical, right? Some IoT yeah. eyeball. And if you're going to, you know, improve the economics of those eyeballs in that experience, you're going to have to automate a lot more. You're going to right. You're going to have to create zero touch networks. You're going to have to create, you know, abstraction layers and you're going to have to do standard deviation testing. And we're literally going to flip the way we program it's it's I'm, I'm seeing this now with with hyperscale cloud companies we're moving into um, implicit versus explicit code so we're testing the environment and letting the code make decisions about what happens based on the the physical environment and I, you know i think that's the i think that's the only way we're going to solve for this there you cannot mechanical turk the next version of the internet
1: yeah totally do you feel like there are enough people working on the edge right now. I mean, you know, Vapor is the, uh, the world's first true edge computing company. And I want you to explain why, why it's the first true one. Um, but I, I, am also curious, like, what is this problem? Something that people are focused on.
2: So, uh, uh, yes, I, I, at the end of the day, the short answer is 100% there's a lot of people working on edge, but again, it goes, it goes back to, you know, what, what is your edge? Um, yeah there there are companies that will that will sell you a box you know there are a lot of manufacturers that are good at manipulating atoms bending sheet metal isn't all that interesting to vapor we do have kind of a unique value proposition for the metal we've we've you know patented and and designed and and put out in the field um but the but the real value is in the software the real value is in the service and in the software and if you're going to make the edge work It's not about building a box and selling that box to somebody who could put it in a parking lot or put it at the bottom of a cell phone tower. Cell cell phone tower real estate is great, but only if you're aggregating a lot of that. Right? The the way to make the economics work. There's no way to make the economics work if you're if you've got a one to one relationship between one of these boxes and one cell phone tower. That's just never going to work. But if you can take a a bunch, a hundred of of these macro cell towers and a hundred or hundreds of small cell and consolidate that because guess what? It takes wires to offer wireless. Yeah. Right? it's not doesn't just, doesn't just magically float around. It's all being terminated in fiber. Maybe to
1: extend that further, like it takes, uh, it takes rain to make clouds or something. <laughs> I don't know. There's something there.
2: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, little known fact, you know, your wireless signal doesn't just like, Manifest out of nothing. There's there's data that gets created, you know, in data centers and then gets you know gets shipped out or central offices or wherever they happen to happen to generate. But the spectrum is that last mile delivery mechanism between you know a modem and your phone, which is literally a modem. So if you think about the old dial up days, that was a modem, right? That little made <clears throat> the little weird sound and and uh that was the handshake that's happening you have the same version i mean you have a modem in your phone that is terminating some speed remember the the 56k modems uh and that was fast right that was kind of the let before like isdn those were like pretty fast modems um on the pots lines um but i I remember i remember starting my uncle bought me a commodore 128 when i was 12 and we we have so many guests that talk about the commodore i loved it it was great. I mean, I I remember programming in GOS. Uh, no one knows GOS. Uh, you got to be an old guy to, to know this. But I started programming when I was 12 and GOS yeah. on Commodore with Enhanced 64 mode. It was great. And I had a I had a, um, at the time, I had a 200-baud modem. 200-baud. And it was just, it was incredible to be able to dial up anything. Uh, but I think what people don't appreciate about what's happening at the edge is the pace of innovation. You know, so are there enough people, back to your question, are there enough people working on it? There's a lot of people that are talking about it. There's a lot of people that are working on it from, you know, um, what's our position in it. Um, But why we say True Edge is because we have this belief system that the edge is a combination of where you can actually run a data center. And probably a a a neutral host shared infrastructure data center because guess what if you if you want to fix the the backhaul path that I've got from Austin to St Louis to Atlanta to California and then back again then you need to create more than seven cities in the United States to do the the network handoff yeah sure. right? so you've got to create that um, but then you have to be able to create uh, once you go from seven to seven hundred you can't just throw people at that. Again, you know, the earlier point, it's going to be very hard to solve that with people. And today's modern data centers from the biggest companies in the world are basically throwing people at the equation. It's more people, more more physical cross-connecting of cables. And, you know, the software hasn't yet been developed until Vapor built it to really create this completely autonomous, software-defined, automated, zero touch network with all of the connectivity that you need so the other question that i'd have about, you know the, the other th- sort of viewpoint that we have is let's say that you have um infinite amount of money and you put one box at the bottom of one cell phone tower what happens when the data center breaks e- everything just went down mm-hmm. right your entire data center is gone sure so there's no servers now working the hvac system fails or you know the servers fail um I'm reminded of this quote from General George S Patton you know you know Patton
1: I he went to my went to my college so Oh really? Yeah. At Ohio. No. You know you went to West Point. Oh yeah, he right. was West Point. That's yeah. right.
2: That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. But but General Patton uh said, "Fixed fortifications are a monument to the stupidity of man." Right? And that just for what we're building that really resonates because in, in data center land, you know, what happens in these in these multi-million dollar, you know, 100-plus megawatt environments, you overbuild. You know, you take an HVAC system and say, okay, well, if this goes out, what do I do? Oh, we'll just buy another HVAC system and we'll, like, flip the switch if the first one goes out. It, same with generators. Same with, you know, all of the UPS systems. Uh, like, everything is redundant. And so, you, if you think about what we used to do in IT... It, when we had you know big iron remember like the big iron the supercomputers the the sun 15ks 25ks the super domes from hp we had these big really expensive vertically integrated box you you, you called it earlier it's cyclical right yeah I, I call it the pendulum of it sure it kind of yeah. goes back back and forth um it was hyperconverged infrastructure back then right you had solaris zones you had you know you had all of these cool ways to like break up the infrastructure but those boxes were were massively overbuilt there was lots of power supplies in them super inefficient boxes but they they were reliable they stayed up a lot because there was redundant everything well then then client server came out remember client server you put a bunch of cheap linux boxes out there and cheap hardware and you run these in an active active scenario as opposed to like a single box that like a mainframe that just sits there and is and is very very fault tolerant so there's there's we talk about resilience which is a good way to think about availability there's two ways to get to resiliency you can get there through high availability which is the vapor approach and it's the cloud approach and it's the client server approach or you can get there through fault tolerance and that is everybody else's approach only vapor is building this highly automated highly available version of of this edge and it takes the box but it could be any box it takes the software for all of the all of the parameters that will go into like why you would move a kubernetes instance around um and it takes a network because you got to connect got to connect to something wireless takes wires
1: yes so What does this like look? What does the kinetic edge look like now? Um, And then, where what will it look like in the not too distant future? Are these these micro data center facilities combined into one place? Are they all over? Are they you know in you know is everybody going to have one in their house? I'm joking, but uh, yeah, what's what's the pardon the pun here? What's the state of uh, the kinetic edge?
2: So we built this cloud down, and I think another sort of differentiator you know, not that this, I, I don't want this to be a, a commercial uh, a, a, by any means, but I think that the way to build the edge correctly is is cloud down. Uh, the cloud, the hyperscale companies got it right. Lots of data centers, right, in in, in Amazon. Let's just take Amazon because they're the kind of, you know, 1,000 pound gorilla in the room. Um, they've got regions and you've got, you know, U.S. East, U.S. West, and you've got, you know, numbers associated with each of those. And then each, in, inside of each region, you have availability zones, right? So you can choose the AZ that you you deploy into. And Microsoft has the same thing. Google has the same thing. And, you know, I just saw Oracle today announced twenty different, you know, twenty new availability. They call them availability regions, which is really confusing. <laughs> but, but uh, um, for us, the kinetic edge in a metro, like any any metro, and remember. The edge for us is that bridge to the last mile where single digit latency. So let's take your mixed reality, right? We talked about it earlier. Well, guess what? Your brain is hardwired to see about 150 degrees vertically and about 180 degrees horizontally. And at every point, at every cross section, you can see uh, about 200 points, uh, right? Which equates to about like with some mild compression at like 4k resolution. Now our eyes are chemical. So, you know, these are like rough conversions, Um, but it equates to about 10.4 gigabits per second per eye. Like that's the bandwidth that your eye kind of sees at. Um, But there's also something else that's been hard coded in your brain, which is your, your eyes to your brain have a seven millisecond hard coded limit before your inner ear will get you sick. If you're looking at a mixed reality environment and and it's delayed past seven milliseconds, uh, the best four G LTE networks today are 32 milliseconds just for the modem, just wow. between the RAN, just between the radio access network and you. It's about 32 milliseconds. In five G, that's going down to two. Two's great unless I've got to go from Austin to Atlanta to California back to me. Yeah, that two turns into you know 25, 30, 40, 50, sometimes north of that depending on the route really quickly um so vapor has you know strategically built this cloud down where a metro is the region and inside of the metro we will place that highly available not necessarily it is fault tolerant but it's not you know data center land you it's it's tiered right so you've got tier one tier two tier three no one really builds tier four anymore unless you're like you're the government you know you're just you know building for like you know world war three but uh, but there's a lot of a lot of a lot of tier two, a lot of tier three buildings still being built. The hyperscale companies kind of build tier one plus a little bit, um, but we build for some you know mild amount of resiliency, like fault tolerant resiliency. Um, but what happens when you start linking these um, redundant, fault tolerant redundant systems up to each other, and now you've got you know a link, a, a fiber link between location one, availability zone one and availability zone two in the same market, well, that that fiber creates just an IP fabric, just an ethernet fabric, which from a top of rack switch perspective, the thing that sits in your data center, right? In one big data center, um, there's no difference in latency between how you would configure one application versus the other. So, you know, by saying True Edge, we're saying bring your application as architected to this environment and it'll work it's physically distributed, but centrally logical, right? Let's logically centered. Um, so I, I think that's, I think that's the true edge. I know, I think that's the kinetic edge and it, it looks that way in every city. We take lots of redundant fiber out. We, we glue these things together through a big mesh network. Uh, so you end up with this, you know, this mesh network on the wireline side. But that's great because There's propagation on the on the wireless side, right? So from the radio access networks and the things, the base stations that sit at the towers or on top of the rooftop, um, you know, or the small cell. Again, all of that has to be filtered or or or, um, piped back into a termination aggregation point. And if you want to be able to do that network handoff, whether it's from a licensed spectrum or unlicensed spectrum or some private enterprise network to the internet or some other enterprise network or to a cloud the the right answer for that and what's always been the right answer for that uh, in the internet is a neutral host it's a facility that that acts as as the aggregator of a bunch of networks and then offers that interconnection platform um and so that's how vapor looks that's how we act and that's how it will look um as we kind of build out our our nationwide network
1: and so where where are you at in terms of like phases of that bill? I don't, I don't know if you can share this stuff, but mm-hmm. um, robust.
2: We'll, coast to coast. Wonderful. Let's just say, let's just say coast to coast and it will be it will be um, y- you'll see a lot of kinetic edge between here and the end of 2020. A lot.
1: So kind of taking a step back from the technology a little bit,
2: you know, your
1: company is, super involved in the state of the edge, obviously, you know, part of the reason why we're doing Edge Week here on IT Visionaries is to talk about this. We get a lot of questions about it. It's cutting edge stuff. A lot of visionary IT leaders interested in this. Um, But I'm curious, like, why invest in the ecosystem?
2: So first off, it's a great question. Um, And it's, there's actually a little bit of history in how Vapor chose to raise the funds we raised there wasn't a, a you know, we, Mark and I spent a long time sort of in a consultative approach talking with Sandhill Road. and you know, from my days at Nebula to kind of doing due diligence, uh, you know from for companies in my role, you know, the multiple roles I had as a co-founder of OpenStack and open compute, et cetera, um, I knew that there was there's was going to have to be a strategic, there's going to have to be, and I don't mean strategic as like, you know, a, 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 just for sake of naming a strategic, like an Intel or a right, a Google, um, there needed to be a strategic investor that had a first party need for what we were going to build um, at some point in the near future. Uh, it had so happened that I had worked very closely. In fact, he served on the board of Open Compute, a gentleman by the name of Don Duet um, at, at Goldman Sachs. He was a, he was a partner uh, and co-CIO at, at Goldman Sachs. And he got it. I mean, he he understood exactly what needed to be built. He understood the problem statement. And he had an opinion about how that was going to get fixed. And he believed in our thesis. He believed in the Vapor thesis, um, so much so that he actually joined the company. So so Don actually joined uh, and kind of helped build a lot of what we have, you know, today. And, and I knew that we would need, you know, sort of a Goldman Sachs or somebody like that to, to come in and get this thing off the ground because, because Silicon Valley, a is really hard in Silicon Valley. It's really tough to raise money for hardware. It's funny. I, I
1: talked to a founder earlier today <laughs> for a, a different podcast, um, that we're doing who has a, uh, hardware startup, uh, in Minnesota. And she was just like, it was so brutal Yeah, talking to investors. Yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, uh, hardware is hard that's what everybody says if it
2: was easy it would be called easyware yeah um, easy buttonware <laughs> but i mean hardware is really difficult and and uh, you know for the the value proposition if you if you look at some of the biggest returns now obviously you can you can be that unicorn in software that has crazy multiples and you know insane exits with with even open source software uh, I, you know i think back to um open v switch nasira or it was one of those examples um
1: but you see but even the stuff that you see right now in the news of these companies the one thing is like and I, I forget who said this but um a famous uh silicon valley vc or somebody was like the speed that it takes you to build a company is generally the speed in which it dies and like you never know where you are on the curve right like am i dying or are we growing or am i like about to die but that's the same way that i think with a lot of these software companies where it's like so easy to onboard so easy to start easy to swipe your credit card so easy to switch right like and that's what a lot of them are seeing so it's like a lot harder to switch hardware
2: Uh, and, and 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 therein lies the rub right it's harder to build it's definitely more capital intensive to build but it's super sticky yeah right once 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 you've got it it's it's hard to migrate off i i just had a conversation with somebody that works at vapor they actually use no at home, they use they don't use Apple TV. They don't use you know iTunes. They're all on Spotify. They're you know, but yeah. they use an iPhone. It's Like, why do you use an iPhone? Not that it's a bad thing. It's just like, why do you use an iPhone versus you don't use Apple services? It's what I know. I'm, I'll never switch to Android because this is the operating system I'm familiar with. And so yeah, I mean, hardware, especially tightly integrated with software, this hyperconverged is is incredibly sticky. Um, and I would say you put that into a data center context it's really hard once you've built fiber and do a physical building and you're using that fiber again back to the zoning and permitting it's probably even stickier
1: yeah there also is a piece of this too where it's like you know because it's not for the faint-hearted and because it's longer time horizons that also is going to keep a percentage of take like bake hundred cupcakes, and each of those are, you know, representative of VC firms. You probably just take your arm and slide sixty percent of them in the trash, and say like they're not going to invest in something that has a ten-year time horizon. 100%. Like not
2: going to do it. Hundred percent. And that's that's a that's exactly why we went to Goldman first, and then, you know, the, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of inside baseball. There's not there's not a lot of people that actually know this about Vapor. So this is going to be news to a lot of people. Hey, let's
1: yeah let's break some moves
2: here let's this is this will be yeah essentially it we had been in existence for probably 14 months and we were approached by a company um international company um it would have been a pretty complex merger slash acquisition there was a reverse triangular merger with sure. like, two companies on the other side, a software company, and a hardware company and different ownerships of different, it was going to be pretty complex, but uh, we were approached to basically, you know, kind of exit with a, with a, a modified sort of go-to-market solving a, again, a specific version of the edge. But, uh, I mean, just almost serendipitously or fortuitously, I, I you know, these, uh, you know, these in-mails that you get from LinkedIn sure. that you almost never read. Oh, I, I know. <laughs> Uh, I got one of those, uh, from a guy named Phil Kelly at crown castle, which is a, you know, one of the, it's arguably the largest us tower co, you know, in the nation at the time it was 40,000 macro cells. I don't know how many thousand small cells, tons more today. And at the time, I think it was, I think it was like 45 or 50,000 miles. And then they hadn't yet bought, um, fiber net. And so 50 became like 75, but so a lot more a lot more fiber but at the time Phil Kelly from Crown Castle, a publicly traded company um, had just been visiting with uh, a, a friend of mine who at the time was the CTO of Equinix, a big big data center company and and we- Crown,
1: go ahead I'm sorry no, no. no i was just gonna say uh we had brian lily on the on the show oh you did yeah oh
2: that's funny yeah, yeah, yeah. so
1: he's a trip so then. this is
2: all news right like yeah um so so, th- so this gentleman at, at equinix was meeting with crown castle and crown said like we have this thesis on edge we've got the the best real estate and the best fiber footprint for this um who do you know oh, or do you guys want to do this and the CEO's like like we build you know Massive hundred megawatt, like huge buildings. Like the edge is that's hard. Um, but if you're interested, you need to go talk to this this little startup in Austin. That's crazy. And I had recruited. I had worked with him on Open Compute, right? So I had I had worked with this uh, this guy, um, and I had I had helped you know bring Equinix into the the Open Compute family. And this all goes back to the village, right? So we're getting we're we're taking like a long walk, sure, back to your uh, your village question. But uh, um, he's a ghost go talk to this, uh, this little startup in Austin, Coles, uh, the CEO, um, I've known him for years, blah, blah, blah. So I get this in mail from, from Phil Kelly at Crown Castle that, that basically, and I knew Crown was, you know, I I was, again, U.S. West in Quest, you know, telco guy, Um but i i you know my your first inclination when you log into linkedin is always to just like go into your in mails you know thing and just delete delete all and and i read this and i was like oh my gosh i i mean i responded immediately i was like i can host you next week so so phil and uh his vp of corp dev a guy named alan bach who actually also now works at vapor (laughs) um they came to visit me and i think within first off we put a hold on the on the other deal right cuz i re- cuz this was really what i wanted to build in fact uh, kind of a fun fact my in 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 high school um i had a friend that worked at blockbuster video mm-hmm. and um in the point of sale machine he had told me he had told me that it was it was like oh man dude you got to check it out it's, it's it's fiber optic it's cool the po- the point of sale system so i had it in my head that hey if all blockbusters were like that, that would be a great edge presence. And so my earliest conversations with Goldman Sachs were, hey, let's go raise hundreds of millions of dollars and let's go buy these or lease these these blockbuster video stores. And that could be a cool edge edge capability. That's if, hilarious. If they're all fiber connected, right. It's probably cheap. It's basically the 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 um, the rackspace model. I don't know if you know like Rackspace for pennies on the dollar bought the San Antonio mall. Oh, no, I didn't know and that. They, yeah, the pennies on the dollar um graham weston who was a real estate guy negotiated with the city of austin to take this mall that that was dead right no one no one was in it and it's the rackspace headquarters today that's it. and that's crazy and i you know they were rackspace one of the co-founders of OpenStack, of course you're talking um,
1: to a guy who our company just bought a grocery store so
2: nice nice yeah. um so that was the original and and goldman's like yeah we're not gonna we're not going to do that, but but you you know there's there's enough there that we'll invest in the idea. So here's a lot less money to go prove it out. But when Phil and Alan came to came to Vapor's offices um, in Austin, I remember clear as day them leaving, and I said I've I've been waiting a year and a half, almost two years for you to walk through this door. I mean I've been, I've been waiting. It just felt very fortuitous, and it wasn't six months later that they had raised our B round. I mean Mar- Mark and I were. We're in the meeting with the CEO, and clear as day, uh, you know. He goes, "Cole, this is going to be a long putt. We're, <laughs> we're not a we're not a venture capitalist company, but uh, but they made the investment, and um, and that you know that kind of kicked off. I think that was the first like real validation point um, for how. And if you ask Matt, so the next time you talk to Matt, yeah, if, if you ask Matt, you know why he actually ended up a vapor. It would be crown i mean matt would tell you the same thing and that's and that was the first real ecosystem player right that was the first company that had incumbent carriers uh, right sticky hardware with towers and base stations and fiber sitting on their land and it was the first it was the first company that we had actually gotten a hold of uh, or rather had gotten a hold of us and said there's this we have this thesis on edge you have this thesis on edge it lines up let's go build it yeah i really do think that crown had a lot to do with legitimizing vapor we had had our views right and those views are unmodified from day one i mean if you go back to 2015 and you look at our very first press announcement pre-mat it's it's vapor unpacks you know vapor chamber for network edge 2015 so also why we call ourselves the first true edge 2015 but we, you know, we knew that that not even Crown, right? with all of the towers that they own, um, if you look at any one of the carriers, now depending on what carrier you look at, you know, the the, the shared infrastructure tower companies um, have taken turns buying different tower portfolios. But if you you know talk to a T-mobile Ver, Ver, uh, Verizon uh, at and t Sprint, et cetera, they live on a combination of Crown real estate, American Tower real estate, SBA real estate, lots of tower codes. Um, and we knew that if we were going to solve for what we needed to solve for, we needed to have conversations with a lot of people, a lot of the o- OTTs. So, and I'm getting a little technical on the wire, uh, on the wireless side, but uh, OTT is like an over the top service offering. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be that those things lived on the network, right? With the, with the carrier that you had. Well, now the OTTs are all living in clouds, mm-hmm. but what cloud? Amazon, Microsoft, right? Sometimes IBM, sometimes Google, th- across a bunch of different companies. So we needed th- to have this neutral host, shared infrastructure ecosystem where people could come to a a Switzerland, right, and have a conversation with a Switzerland that that could facilitate what was important to them. So back to an earlier comment, uh, kind of a solve your own pain, manufacture your own aspirin. Right. Yeah, here's choose your own adventure we're we're here as facilitators and 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 we want to assist in the network builds we don't own spectrum we you know we're not a hyperscale cloud company we just offer a i think a, a unique differentiated you know open approach to where you can terminate the edge where you can hand off your traffic at the edge um and uh, you know we're we're here to solve that for anybody that has a first party or third party need
1: well and i think you know it's so interesting about State of the Edge is that you have a coalition of people, of companies, um, of partners, of which Mission is now part of it, an official media partner of State of the Edge, uh, signed, sealed, and delivered by Matt Trefero. Shout out to Matt um, for helping us join. But what's so cool about it is that it's really important to get people at the table To talk about innovation, you know, like stuff we do at this podcast is to be able to democratize information and get it around the world. And I think that that's part of the thing that a lot of times I know for us in the shows that we do is, you know, conversations happen in the back room, you know, or the VC's office in Silicon Valley, or they happen wherever it is. But when you're talking about you know, sharing reports, sharing best practices, sharing what's going on—it engages people throughout the world. I mean, like this podcast listened to in like 130 countries. Um, but the idea that you can just go to you know stateoftheedge.com and check out the report right now, like yeah. that sort of stuff, is so empowering for people who want to get started in this but have no other kind of way to.
2: You're absolutely right. the 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 narrative of this, you know, you'd asked me earlier um, why we chose to bring on a CMO as early as we did. Uh, in a nascent industry i mean this this is not i don't think the edge really is is any sort of cyclical pattern because it's really taking the best practices of what we learned when we were you know building owner-operated data centers and then kind of shifting from owner-operated to you know cloud-based and then after cloud kind of came you know hybrid cloud and then that was multi-cloud i think this all culminates in what is going to be edge and and edge is you know as a term is probably going to get overused 100 it's going to get overused but at some point I, I remember this meme that i saw man years ago and it had it had the the kid from the matrix that was holding the spoon right and he's like there is no there is no spoon yeah sure it, it, but it was there is no cloud it's just a data center that doesn't belong to you right it's physically exists um i think the footprint that vapor is building it's just going to be the compute where you need it and i and i think you know when you go from interconnecting in seven cities to being able to interconnect in 70 cities in the us is that's going to bring about a paradigm shift in what the art of the possible is for the applications that can be architected and a really good example of this is do you remember and probably not so long ago, you know, probably in the last seven years, I would say, if you go back, if we rewind seven years, do you remember how you could be in the backseat of a car uh, or or at the, in the passenger seat, hopefully not in the driver's seat, watching a YouTube video and then it would pause as you'd be going down the highway or sure. to a city, it would pause and you get the little spinny thing, right? Waiting, and then it would pick up again. That was an overlay network built into your phone that was literally taking you from one radio access network to another. So what did the content companies do? the content companies pre-cached a little bit of data ahead of where you were watching so as you moved it just continued playing and then it picked back up and pre-cached some more and you can see this on the youtube video you see the little gray area above the red that's actually why that was built you cannot do that with edge to core data because it's very low latency it's very reactive it's not static content it's dynamic content it's a sensor saying i'm at i'm at whatever temperature or i'm at whatever pressure or you know i've got this value that is going to be acted on very quickly uh there's no caching that data unless you can time travel well and
1: that's like you were saying with uh like if you're you know if it's a robotic arm doing a surgery like there's no latency
2: okay. like in a
1: robotic arm <laughs> doing surgery right?
2: and and look the, and that's a perfect example i, I remember there was this uh we call him the the scientist a guy named christian von ravenflow it's germany name where are these guys all Ger- great names German deutsche Telekom guy he's now at i think he's at uh telstra um there's this uh there's a really good initiative uh run out of carnegie mellon called the oec uh the oec lab and the lel so it's combined uh living edge lab and at the time christian was was at, at deutsche Telekom and we inserted, we had one of these LEL events at Carnegie Mellon, and we had inserted latency. And all we had him do was look at the screen up here when he was actually just writing his name down here. And when we got to about 12 milliseconds, like it just became really bad. You know, his name became like illegible. Seven seconds is a lot. I mean, it can start, you remember a uh, few years ago, uh, the applications that would create just a little bit of an echo in your earphones oh, and yeah. then you wouldn't be able to speak yeah totally yep um latency can do crazy things to to the human brain I mean,
1: pretty much zoom was built off of like figuring this out yeah, right like, I mean, that's like half of the
2: uh, half of the whole thing 100 you uh i i, I remember being a, a, at an event where um somebody from um the Singularity University was yeah. giving a giving a keynote, and he was talking about robotic surgery. and And he was asking a group, a pretty varied group in the in the audience of you know people that probably you know somewhere in the sixties all the way down to you know millennials uh, and maybe slightly younger. Um, and he said, "How many of you today would choose to have a surgery by a robot versus a human?" And uh, you know, when he said, "If you if you're if you choose a human, like raise your hand and You know, almost 100% of the older guys and girls raised their hand. They'd rather have the human do it. And then, you know, as the audience became younger, right, just in terms of their age, more hands went up for the robot. Um, And he's like, for those that chose the robot, your odds of surviving that surgery just went up tenfold. Yeah. Right? Robots don't have jitter right they don't have shakes in their hands they didn't have
1: too much coffee in the morning they don't
2: drink they didn't get into a fight with their spouse the night before they're not depressed they don't have anxiety yeah um but if you you know so as we get better about um you know artificial intelligence and as, as 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 we're and this is what i was talking to you earlier about the internet of skills yeah right as we start applying ai to to A robot that's performed a million surgeries they're going to be as good as the best surgeons on the planet of course right and but but from a precision standpoint they're going to be better so they're going to know what to look for they're going to be able to to use those those standard deviation conditions for what thing to do next but it's going to have to be super low latency and you know a lot of this will be augmented a bit by humans but again you don't want that robotic arm moving at a seven millisecond latency, because now you're you're tearing into to good flesh, right? Yeah, and and, and potentially organs that you need.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it reminds me of um, when we did our podcast, Future Cities. One of the things that was really fascinating was this idea that uh, to build a house in 1910 versus building a house now it's actually slower today. Mm -hmm. Like, Not only have we not improved in any way building a house, it's actually slower because the level of complexity isn't like two or three X. It's like exponentially more complicated because the amount of electronics and wiring and all that stuff. But so like, let's say you build that house from scratch, whatever you build in all the latest gadgets and gizmos. There's very few cities in America, for example, that you're building from scratch yep. so if you're building an infrastructure an internet that's like just patching over patch over patch over patch uh then it's like how do you you need to have things that can actually solve the problem and stop like you know stop saying well we're just going to cache here we're going to cache data and then we're going to play it again like that's not solving the root of the problem you
2: 100 percent nailed it and actually this is the crux of why vapor exists you know ha- having been a uh, a telco guy, kind of, kind of growing up in a central office, right? Which is where you kind of terminate a bunch of of telco gear with, you know, NEBs compliance and negative forty eight volt uh, power distribution. Which you know, data centers don't really use. Like you know, hyperscale cloud data centers. You know, the the standard is still to to use forty volt three phase power. Like that's you know, it's redundant. It can be efficient. Um, you can transform it pretty pretty easily. A bunch of UPSs support it, but the brownfield retrofit of a central office versus a greenfield deployment, even if you just have to move the fiber, right, just to like build the building, um, and I'd say it's true for houses the same way. It's probably true for edge data centers. Prefabrication is the better way to go. Yeah,
1: that's what. So the whole podcast was sponsored by Katerra. but so we talked a lot about prefab. Yeah, um, and uh, and like. Yeah, it's like a no brainer, right? It's a no brainer. Right. Yeah, it's, of course, of course you would build it that way. Like, yeah. if you were to just conceptually build something from yeah. scratch, like, why would you not, you know, reduce waste, maximize effectiveness, just like you would do a silicon chip? Uh, that's why one of the guys came from uh, semiconductors. Yeah. Cause he's like, hey, let's build houses like semiconductors or, you know, units. But yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Okay. So, last question before we get into lighting round what does all this mean for cios and ctos like is this coming to a theater near you is this coming to a theater near you in two years uh does this matter right now how should they think about this
2: it's a great question um you'd made the uh you made a comment earlier that i archived and now my recall uh is a little slow but you'd made a comment around being at the dinner table right you'd made that comment And, and a friend of mine in in London likes to say, if you're not at the dinner table, then you're on the dinner table. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Um, and, and it was back to the state of the edge, you know, the only thing better than, than being invited to dinner is having set the table, which I feel like state of the edge does. And, 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 you know, there's, there's no core group that does that, right. We ask anybody to come and help us. So there, you know, infinite number of, of of cooks in the kitchen if you will sure right yeah. um where it was chefs 100 that you can anybody can help Food us trucks anyone you know i if if you are and this is again it goes back to pace of innovation the applications that are going to solve for why you would invest in building out edge resources in a post 5g world even a even a 4g lte wireless to wireline world if you believe in the thesis or if you believe in the value of the edge the way we do and the value proposition of the edge the way we do easy button economics etc the way to future proof that is to start building the infrastructure today yeah right you don't put cars on a highway that isn't yet built that but you got to build the highway Right, that, that I I mean that's just the reality. Like you you know you need to pave it and you need to flatten it and you need to it needs to be built and then you know people can start moving their cars, which is traffic. Right, we're just talking about. Um,
1: it's like the Southwest model, right? It's like you build point to point, right?
2: Hub spoke, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, it, totally. It, it's uh, it's a hundred percent, and you know to the CIO to the CTO that isn't taking this seriously today. You know, that Greenfield versus Brownfield conversation we just had, you don't want to be leapfrogged. You don't want someone to come in and architect net new and you're having to play catch up, not just because you invested in an architecture paradigm that was sort of one generation back. So you've already spent money to do it the wrong way. Now you got to reinvest to do it the right way. And from a timing perspective, you're going to play catch up. I think that's the that's why CIOs and CTOs should be paying attention t- to to the edge. It, this is not in 2015. It could have been an if, right? When we launched the company, there yeah. was a it, back in 2015. There was a well, maybe you're right. I don't think the if is no longer a factor. I don't think everyone says, "Well, if edge is a thing." I think edge has become a thing. I think there's lots of lots of investment into it, and I wouldn't even say that when is really a thing it's it's just a how soon
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's soon and I, I i i believe that if you're not at the dinner table you're on the dinner table
1: and so everyone should definitely check out state dot com to get the most recent report which will be out now and we will be promoting as a good friend of uh, an official media partner um all right let's get into some lightning round questions these questions are fast and easy just like the Salesforce platform, you can go to salesforce.com slash employee experience to learn more about employee experience on the world's number one CRM that is Salesforce. We love the platform. Check them out. They're the best. And they bring it visionaries content to you twice a week for free. It's great. Um, Cole lightning round. Ready. Are you ready? Ready? Number one, what is your favorite thing to cook or eat speaking of so
2: much at dinner tables? Mexican food.
1: Do you have a favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently?
2: The wizards who stay up late. Ooh, That
1: what's the pitch on that. That sounds pretty good.
2: The invention of the internet. Great book. <laughs> I just, I
1: gotta check it out. It'll be homework. Homework for me. Um, what do you do for fun?
2: I skydive. Really? Yeah. It's actually where vapor came from. Oh, ah, And part. That's pretty fun.
1: I, uh, I did it five times during my time in the army and, uh, I then gave up jumping out of a perfectly Thousands
2: good, of times. <laughs> perfectly good plan. That's funny.
1: Five is just about enough for me. Um, favorite vacation spot? Costa Rica. What is your best advice for a first-time CEO?
2: Stay the course. You have a vision. It's your vision. Execute your vision.
1: What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often?
2: that i never get asked that i that i wish i got asked um where did you get the name for vapor io yeah where did you get the name i should ask that see uh i got the name it's so kind of a kind of a double answer um one what are clouds made out of uh vapor vapor uh two at the beginning of of our journey towards the edge there was a kind of an, an initiative a little bit tongue-in-cheek um, but it was called Fog Computing. Sure. And I was like, okay, what is Fog made up of? I- yeah, Vapor.
1: I love it. This has been awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, everybody should check out Vapor.io if you haven't already. Download State of the Edge. I highly recommend it. It's a great read and uh, lots of smart people put a lot of thought into that. Um, any final thoughts?
2: Uh, Ian, you've, you've been great. This has been uh, an absolute pleasure. appreciate the time. Thanks so much.
0: IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform.